You're going to love this. Just love it. Pacifica Radio's KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. From the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. From Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, RadioOrNot.com, and now Radio Sputnik, five days a week. This is your broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, an all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com joining you again for another action-packed adventure that we call the Bradcast. Glad you could join us this afternoon. A lot to get to today. Uh, we've got some breaking news out of the U.S. Senate. As the uh, Senate Democrats buck President Obama today, blocking fast-track authority for the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I'll get to that in a bit, and I believe we'll be joined by David Dayan of Salon, who is monitoring the events on the uh, on the Senate floor today. Uh, got a lot more, uh, actually, that I'll tell you about in a second that we're going to get to. But before we do, I want to try to get to this item, because I, I wanted to cover it yesterday. Before we get too far from the Mother's Day weekend, you know, as we were heading into that Mother's Day weekend, um, I was uh, beating up on the National Rifle Association because, well, frankly, because they're jerks and they're con men. Uh, and uh, and by the way, they also support terrorism, as I described when I did this story. They've blocked universal background checks, despite the fact that even their own members would like to see universal background checks for for the purchase of guns. Uh, they, they have fought barring uh, people on the terrorist watch list from being able to buy any weapons they wanted. They lied to Congress about a U.N. treaty that would keep guns out of the hands or keep arms trade out of the uh, hands of rogue states and so forth. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't like the NRA. Has nothing to do with guns, by the way. I'm a uh, supporter of the Second Amendment. Uh, but the uh, NRA is a bunch of con men and basically the lobby for the arms industry. And we had talked before Mother's Day uh, about this woman who had been killed late last year in December in a uh, Walmart in Idaho. She was shot by her two year old son, a toddler who had uh, reached into the zippered compartment of her purse, pulled out this Smith and Wesson uh, handgun and, and shot mom, killed her dead. And the reason we brought it up is because the NRA was giving away a gun for Mother's Day weekend in a lottery or a contest or whatever the hell it was. A The same Smith & Wesson handgun that that two-year-old used to kill his mother back in, uh, in, in December of 2014. So uh, I had decided I would send my, Mother's Day, my mother a uh, Mother's Day card instead. <laughs> and... Uh, 
That's what I did. And that was the end of the story. And then over Mother's Day weekend, guess what happened? A Kentucky woman shot by her two-year-old son over the Mother's Day weekend. According to police in Louisville, uh, Kentucky, woman was thankfully recovering on Monday after being shot by her two-year-old son over Mother's Day. WAVE reported the shooting occurred around 9.30 p.m. on Saturday night at a home in Linden, Kentucky. The woman, who was said to be in her 30s, was one of three adults in the home at the time of the incident. Not immediately clear how the toddler got his hands on the gun, but police said they were continuing to investigate. The mother was recovering at a hospital. Her injuries were not thought to be life-threatening, but the fact that uh, these two-year-olds are now rising up, apparently, against idiot mothers who allow uh, their the toddlers to get access to the gun. I just had to, uh, I mean, it's amazing how many two-year-olds are going to shoot their own mother thanks to these... Uh, well, anyway, uh, I just wanted to toss in that story. Okay, uh, <laughs> coming up a little bit later in the show, uh, the first lawsuit of 2016, uh, the election uh, of 2016, the first election lawsuit has been filed. It comes in where else? Ohio. And from Team Clinton, at least as BuzzFeed describes it. We'll talk a little bit about that in in a bit. Alan West, crazy Alan West. Remember crazy Alan West, the Republican from Florida, House member uh, who was tossed out, who we have defended, by the way, uh, at least defended his election or his uh, what happened during his election. We'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, he claims now that he's the victim of Sharia law. Yes, at a Walmart, by the way. No, seriously. We'll try to get to that. And I will defend, speaking of defending Republicans, I will defend Jeb Bush. Yes, you heard me right. I will defend Jeb in regard to his recent comments about the Iraq war, of all things. Uh, if we have time, we'll get to the mother of the man who founded Citizens United and uh, her announcement that uh, immigrants are like rats and roaches. Plus, Desi jo- Doyen will join us uh, a bit later for the latest Green News report. Uh, Shell oil has been approved for Arctic drilling. Hooray! More mandatory water cuts out here in drought-stricken California. Uh, GOP. Oh, GOP is slashing funding for uh, NASA's Earth research. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, and uh, we're also following the adventures of this solar-powered airplane that is flying day and night around the world, which is pretty cool. So we'll have all of that ahead. But first, Senate Democrats on Tuesday delivered a stinging blow to President Obama's trade agenda by voting to prevent the chamber from picking up fast track legislation, reports The Hill, as we go to air. Uh, A motion to cut off a filibuster and proceed to the trade bill fell short on uh, on Tuesday and monitoring those events right now in the U.S. Senate as we go to air. Our old friend David Dayen, formerly known as D-Day at uh, the news desk of Fire Dog Lake. He's now a contributing writer at Salon.com. He's written for New Republic, American Prospect, The Guardian, Huffington Post, Political, and anyone else who will have him. Uh, you can also follow him on the Twitters at D-Dayen. Uh, David Dayen, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me. Uh, okay, so what uh, w- what went on in this uh, in this vote? And and if you could let us know 
as as much as this is easy to explain exactly what the concerns are in general about TPP and what this fast track actually means if it is able to get through the uh, through the Senate and the House as President Obama would like. Right. So the bill that was being voted on today is called uh, Fast Track for short and also called Trade Promotion Authority. And what this would do is it would give the president the authority to negotiate trade deals and have an expedited process for when those trade deals get a final vote in Congress. In other words, there would be no filibuster available. There would be no ability to amend the trade deals. They would simply get an up or down vote after they are negotiated by the executive branch. Now, the reason that the executive branch says they need trade promotion authority, which has been granted to other presidents in the past, Mm -hmm. is because they say that we will not get the best offer from our negotiating partners if they think that Congress can come in and go line by line and amend and change the trade agreement, and then they have to go back and negotiate it all over again with these partners. So that's that's their account. Uh, the, the, but the, the, the trade, just to be yeah. clear on that point, the, the Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement has already been in negotiation for, that's s- for that's some time. That's what I was time. about to say. Yeah, yeah, go yeah, ahead. That's what I was about to say. I mean, the TPP, or the Trans-Pacific Partnership, has been negotiated for years and years and years and is already pretty much at conclusion. We don't know a whole lot about it because all we, the information we've got from it are from leaks, uh, WikiLeaks drafts of various chapters, and not all of them. Uh, and also there's tremendous secrecy around this. Uh, legislators can have to go to, into a secure room to yes. read the current text. Uh, they can't take notes. They can't give information to the public about it. They can't bring staffers in for technical uh, analysis of the text. Uh, it's it's, it's an almost completely uh, hermetically sealed agreement. And yet uh, the, uh, the, the White House wants Congress to give them this authority to, no questions asked, really grease the wheels for trade deals for six years, by the way. It's a trade promotion authority would last for six years, and it would outlast this president and perhaps even the next president. And that's one of the uh, complaints. That's one of the complaints, but right that uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren has uh, had right. that even if this deal is as fantastic as uh, the president claims, and and of course we don't know because we don't get to see it. She's saying right. that even if it's fantastic, uh, beyond this, beyond this deal. Uh, future presidents, no matter who they are, whether it be Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, Hillary Clinton, they also get the authority to pretty much slide through any trade agreement with anybody they want if fast track is granted. They get, okay. That's correct. They get expedited authority to pass this through. And, and more and more in the modern age, what trade agreements are, are not necessarily about lowering tariffs or opening markets overseas. They're about harmonizing regulations. In other words, setting a regulatory ceiling uh, that that countries can't go over to protect their citizens, whether it's around financial regulation or whether it's around workplace safety or labor rights or things like that. Uh, and and so, a future president that isn't so concerned with those kind of regulatory matters could agree to put limits on this country or other countries in terms of their regulatory burden, and 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 really help out multinational corporations. Another big part of these trade deals is intellectual property. 
which is aggressively going after violations of copyrights on whether it's uh, music or movies or prescription drugs. So, I mean, this, this deal, TPP, is in many ways a way to uh, guarantee profits for Hollywood and uh, Big Pharma. Well, Hollywood? Wait a minute. I live in Hollywood. This sounds like a great deal. <laughs> what, what's the... Um... Uh, explain, and, and we'll get back to the Senate vote in, in a moment, mm-hmm. because it's kind of surprising that the president's own party uh, appears to be uh, you know, disagreeing with him on this point. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the big concerns about TPP, and again, all we can do is look at leaks and sort of decipher the tea leaves. I had Alan Grayson on, a congressman from Florida last week, talking about this. You sort of have to read between the lines because they're not allowed to talk about it. But one of the big right. concerns is, A, that while the public hasn't seen the deal, uh, representatives from huge corporations have. They're in the room, they're negotiating it, and involved with all of this is is a, essentially a scheme that keeps any disputes out of the actual court system, and they sort of create their own corporate tribunal to work out uh, differences. Do I understand that correctly, David Dayan? Yes, the, pro- the provision known as Investor State Dispute Settlement, or ISDS, allows corporations to go through a, a extrajudicial process uh, in a separate tribunal that is usually stacked with uh, corporate lawyers or, or what have mm-hmm. you, uh, that they could sue governments that violate or that they feel violate the terms of the agreement, uh, and they can sue them for monetary damages that translate to expected future profits that have been foregone because of this supposed violation. And uh, this this is being done already in a variety of contexts. Uh, the ISDS has been part of trade deals for a number of years now, uh, and so it's it's a twofold problem because it's not just that uh, ISDS can overturn laws; it can't, but it can create such monetary pressure on a country that they'll overturn the law themselves because they can't afford not to. Mm-hmm. That's number one, and number two, it's essentially a bailout insurance for corporations who, who engage in foreign investment. Uh, if you're a business and you're putting a, a, a plant in Vietnam mm-hmm. and you feel like you're being discriminated against in some manner or another, uh, this is ins- an insurance policy for you to recollect uh, uh, some money off your investment. And it essentially waters down the competitive advantage that this country has by having a relative rule of law and uh, uh, being a decent place to, to do business. So it, it will hasten uh, and accelerate, and we're in the, in the idea of, of you know, the AFL-CIO and other opponents of the deal, it will hasten the outsourcing of jobs out of this country because you're essentially setting up these same rules uh, in, in, in other countries. And needless to say, workers who are discriminated against or, or screwed over by trade deals uh, don't get the same protection. There's no worker-state dispute settlement in this deal where workers can actually you know, appeal to some tribunal uh, that, that there are violations of their rights to be taking place. They can't sue, but ExxonMobil... But corporations if, can. But corporations, yeah, if, if uh, yeah. the U.S. passes a law that uh, talks about emissions, for example, and limits uh, emissions, uh, as I understand the deal anyway, ExxonMobil can then uh, sue in this, uh, in this tribunal to right. try to get uh, you know recompense for the money they're not Ex- making because we can't Expected burn possible future profits as as you Amazing. just said uh, um, that that's yeah 
That's that's amazing. Okay, so back to the Senate now. Is is this thing dead? Is this thing over? Or uh, no. is this just a, the, the Democrats flexing their muscles a little bit here? <laughs> this is not over. Uh, this was an initial vote. Uh, Reed, Harry Reid is, is generally against this deal. And he is trying a variety of strategies to get it to stop. Now, what happened was is that the, the trade deal or fast track or trade promotion authority passed the Senate Finance Committee, and it passed with the the support of seven Senate Democrats. Mm. Uh, they also passed three other bills at the same time that had to do with trade. One thing called trade adjustment assistance, which is basically a cash uh, that's given to workers who are kind of outsourced uh, out of the job. Basically, uh, there's trade adjustment assistance, there's an African trade deal, and then there's this customs enforcement bill. And so Reed saw the opportunity to say, well, we're not going to vote on this unless all four of those bills are put together. Uh, and the important thing here is that the customs bill has a, a piece in it that would uh, try to stop currency manipulation. And this is the idea that countries in, uh, you know, particularly countries in Asia, some of our negotiating partners on TPP, uh, artificially uh, lower the value of their currency to make their ex- exports more attractive and cheaper. Uh, and this is what's hurting the trade deficit. The fact that we have a very strong dollar right now is mm-hmm. what's stopping our manufacturing from getting going because it's simply more expensive to import our goods than it would be to import goods from China or Japan or wherever. Gotcha. So the, the, the core of the argument here was that we need these four bills to come together, uh, said uh, Harry Reid, and McConnell didn't want to do that, uh, particularly because they think the currency piece in this customs bill could derail the entire thing. So in theory, David Dan, if uh, McConnell agrees to bring these four uh, these four bills together onto the floor, Harry Reid and the Democrats could end up uh, going forward and supporting this fast track authority, even though uh, so many likely, people are against. They would likely go forward, but the White House might have a problem with that because the customs bill has this currency piece that they don't really want to do. I mean, they have been vociferous that they do not want to put any any restrictions on currency manipulation into the trade agenda, essentially. And so it's kind of a poison pill that's sitting there. And so Reed is saying all we want is for these four bills, which did pass the Senate Finance Committee, to come forward together. McConnell is saying, I'll give you uh, two of them, but I'm not going to give you all four because we got a problem with this customs bill. And uh, therein lies the impasse. So today, uh, uh, the motion to move forward on trade promotion authority failed. Only one Democrat crossed the aisle, and that was Tom Carper. Uh, and he's the only one that, that ended up voting to proceed mm. on the bill. And here we had an instance of Democrats filibustering, uh, which is, uh, and, and then you had the funny <laughs> circumstance of Mitch McConnell whining about uh, somebody filibustering yes. one of his uh, priorities, which uh, was, uh, you know, kind of turnabout being fair play. I would uh, yes, how dare they be, uh, Democrats be obstruct uh, obstructionists in the U.S. Exactly. Senate. Uh, unbelievable. The um, Okay, so this still could happen if they work out their differences. But let me ask you this last question, David Dan, before I let you go. The uh, 
if they are if they are not able to work this out, if they are not able to grant fast track authority on TPP, does that in and of itself kill TPP or could that still uh, move forward and, and still be uh, signed and, and brought forward uh, later by the Senate for uh, for approval? It's entirely possible that TPP could go without you getting this fast-track bill. They would just have to do what they do on every other piece of legislation, which is allow for amendments and get uh, it across any threshold, including a 60-vote threshold in the U.S. Senate. Uh, my suspicion is, is that this initial misstep on fast-track might be remedied in the Senate. The real problem for this bill is in the House where uh, a substantial number of Republicans don't support it because they essentially don't want to give uh, President Obama more authority on anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, very few Democrats support uh, in the House. And so I I tend to think that this bill is is more imperiled in the House, but Hmm. the fact that the Senate couldn't get it going today is, is somewhat significant. And this, this issue with the customs and the currency piece uh, could loom large in the state. I'll tell you, it's very rare that so many Republicans and Democrats agree on anything. When they do, that's usually either really bad news or really good news. I think in this case, at least if we take Grayson and Elizabeth Warren at their word, uh, that would be really good news because they cite uh, similar trade packs like NAFTA as the reason for the huge economic disparity that has uh, you know, shown itself over the last uh, couple of decades since, uh, since Clinton passed NAFTA. So sure. potentially very good news today. We'll see if it holds. David Dayen, uh, contributor to Salon, a must-read financial writer all over the place these days, uh, and a must-follow, frankly, on Twitter, at D. Dayan. David, thanks for uh, jumping in with us at the last minute here, and uh, let's stay in touch as, as this moves forward. No problem. Thanks a lot, Brad. Thank you, brother. Okay, let's take a quick break and come back with much more Bradcast, including my defense of Jeb Bush, sort of, And the first lawsuit in the 2016 campaign. All of that and more straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Welcome back. We are on the watchtower for you here at Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay, on uh, Monday of this week, Hillary Clinton's lawyer, Mark Elias, filed a lawsuit in Ohio, setting the stage for 18 months or more of litigation surrounding the 2016 elections. Now, it was Mark Elias, and Mark Elias is Hillary Clinton's, uh, one of her uh, election attorneys, He's a Democratic attorney. He represented Al Franken successfully in the uh, in the recount between uh, Senator Al Franken and uh, Coleman back in when was that? Twenty uh, was that two thousand and eight already? I think it was. Yeah. Uh, so good election attorney. But this lawsuit he filed was not claimed uh, was 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 not filed on behalf of uh, the Hillary Clinton team. At least uh, so he claims. Hillary Clinton claims as well. 
though they say they support the lawsuit. Uh, you may remember, we talked about it on this show a few weeks back, uh, the ACLU, the League of Women Voters, all of them had sued the state of Ohio. It was a longstanding suit, the, the, sued the Secretary of State, etc., after he had shut down early voting. He had shortened early voting hours. He had uh, shut down Sunday voting right before the elections, the uh, Sunday early voting, and that was the day that was souls to the polls day used by a lot of African-Americans uh, on Sunday before the election. You know, when they go to church, they say, OK, everybody, let's all go vote. They don't tell them who to vote for. But uh, they moved uh, tens of thousands of voters uh, to the polls on the Sunday before the election. Republicans in Ohio had been trying to shut that down year after year after year. The courts kept telling them, no, you cannot do that. They kept trying it again, so on and so forth. They kept getting sued in federal court. They kept losing. Finally, the Secretary of State of Ohio, John Husted, struck a deal. They came to a settlement in the case with the ACLU, League of Women Voters, and so forth. And uh, they, they agreed upon... Uh, hours that would be consistent across all of the states. I'm sorry, all of the counties in the state. Uh, so that the, the rules would be consistent. At least that was what the Republicans had claimed they wanted. They claimed, they've been claiming this since, uh, since they used that excuse back in Bush v. Gore back in 2000. When they said, oh, we can't have different uh, standards for counting in each county, therefore let's not count at all. And that argument actually won the day in Florida back in 2000 when they didn't bother to count the ballots. Didn't bother to find out that Al Gore received more votes than George W. Bush in, in Florida. Yes, not just across the country, but also in Florida. And the Supreme Court helped George Bush essentially steal the election back in 2000. But ever since then, Republicans have been claiming we, we need standardized procedures from county to county. Otherwise, it's unfair. Now, of course, they know that's a lie. They know uh, there aren't standardized procedures from county to county. Every county uses different types of voting systems, for example. Even within counties, there are different type of voting systems that each voter can use. You can vote by uh, absentee ballot, for example, a hand-marked paper ballot, or you go in and use one of the touchscreens that many uh, states, one of the 100% unverifiable touchscreens that many states still offer, many counties still offer. And even within the precincts, there are different ways to vote. You can go into a precinct and vote on a paper ballot with an op-scan system, or if you're disabled, you might choose to use the touchscreen system. Uh, so, you know, this nonsense that we need uh, consistency, we need uniformity across the voting system is nonsense. It's always been nonsense. But Republican Secretary of State of Ohio, John Houston, has been using that as an excuse to say, well, you know, we, we can't have this many hours of early voting in Cuyahoga County where millions of voters live. And in this rural county, we only have a few hours of early voting. Of course, they only need a few hours of early voting in those rural counties because there's only a few voters. But instead of uh, saying, OK, so everybody, we want to be uniform across all the counties, instead of doing that and saying, OK, so everybody has that many, uh, you know, dozens of hours for early voting, we'll just make it so that everybody has a few hours of voting, just like those rural counties. 
Anyway, that's what they've been trying to get away with. They finally uh, agreed on uh, a deal with the ACLU, and they settled that case. Finally, they restored some of the uh, Sunday voting, the souls to the polls days. They've restored some of the early voting they were trying to cut out. But with this uniformity they now have to uh, John Husted's uh, enjoyment, uh, now Mark Elias, the election attorney, is now claiming that that offers a disparity against some voters. Here's one of the claims, as reported by uh, BuzzFeed from the lawsuit. Ohio law limits each county to one EIP voting location. That's early in-person voting. This limitation means that in more populous counties, which have higher percentages of minority residents and Democratic voters, more voters must use a single voting location than in less populous counties. Prior to the imposition of the EIP, Early In-Person Voting Directives, and the settlement agreement, the discretion that each board of elections had to extend the days and times for early voting played an essential role in counteracting the inequitable distribution of early voting opportunities. Now that this discretion has been eliminated, in other words, counties are no longer able to... Remember local control? Remember how Republicans used to give a damn about local control? So the local control of election boards to say, yeah, we the lines are too long, we've got more voters in our county, we need to have more early voting hours, that has now been taken away from them by the Republican Secretary of State in Ohio. So the suit mentions, uh, as a result, to take an example, voters in Franklin County, which is home to Columbus and the Ohio State University, has approximately 800,000 registered voters. They are limited to one early voting location, as are voters in Noble County, which has approximately 9,000 registered voters. That's an approximate ratio of 89 to 1. And so uh, Mark Elias is arguing that that uh, is uh, there's a disparity, a disproportionate disparity against uh, minority voters. And so the first lawsuit of 2016 has now been filed in the Buckeye State. So the the fights will continue over the right to vote uh, in uh in every state. What surprises me about Particularly this? Particularly oh. in Ohio, the swing state. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, just what, what surprises me the most about this particular one is the idea that, oh, well, if not everyone can have the exact same hours, then nobody gets to do it. Yeah. And it's just, it's that, that sort of backwards That's thing. what they've been trying to pull and in And that's Ohio their backwards justification because the, basically they want to prevent people from voting. Right. The goal of this is to stop you from voting, however, whatever legal means they yep. can devise to stop you from voting. Make those lines as long as possible. Reduce your early voting places make it take as long as possible so that you'll give up you say that as if it's a bad thing desi doyan <laughs> well it is yeah it is and, and you know and, and the thing is it. it's yeah. so important to talk about these things now because usually the corporate media waits until two weeks before the election when it is too late to fix these problems well which is something we saw by the way in in 2014 there was all of these uh lawsuits that were decided in just before the election and the supreme court essentially threw out all of them concerning photo id voting restrictions and so forth threw them out on the basis that the decision was made too close to the election therefore we can't change the rules at the last minute well so now we've got a, a lawsuit that is filed now Watch how long the uh, Republicans in Ohio try to slow walk this thing, because if the decision goes against them and is right before an election is about to happen, they'll just go to the Supreme Court and say, hey, Supreme Court, you said we can't change the rules right before the election. 
So we'll see how this goes. Uh, okay, I want to get to a, a number of things. Let's fly through this. Um, Jeb Bush, uh, speaking of Republicans, uh, you may have heard uh, his, his comments. He was asked on Fox News by Megyn Kelly. Uh, Knowing what we know now, would you have authorized the invasion of Iraq just like your brother did? So the question is, knowing what we know now, not if you had the same intelligence you had back then, if you had the same intelligence your brother had, uh, knowing what we know now, would you have authorized the invasion? Well, here, here's a clip from uh, Jeb Bush's uh, question and answer with Megyn Kelly on this point. On the subject of Iraq, yep. obviously very controversial, knowing what we know now, would you have authorized the invasion? I would have, and so, so would have Hillary Clinton, just to remind everybody, and so would have almost everybody that was confronted with the intelligence they got. You don't think it was a mistake? In retrospect, the intelligence that everybody saw, that the world saw, not just the United States, was, um, was faulty. And in retrospect, once we, once we um, invaded and took out uh, Saddam Hussein, we didn't focus on security first. And the Iraqis, in this incredibly insecure environment, um, turned on the United States military because there was no security for themselves and their families. By the way, guess who thinks that those mistakes took place as well? Who? George W. Bush. Your brother. Yeah, I mean, so just for the you know, newsflash to the world, if they're trying to find places where there's big space between me and my brother, this might not be one of those. Okay, so uh, he's asked, knowing what we know now, would you have authorized the invasion? Jeb Bush says, yes, I would have. And he says, so would have Hillary Clinton, just to remind everybody, because, in fact, Hillary Clinton did vote in favor of the war. So, uh, folks uh, on the left, such that we have uh, left in this country uh, and, you know, Democrats and so forth are looking at this going, ah, you see, Jeb Bush, he's no different than George. He would have invaded even knowing what we know now. And I heard this. I heard these comments and I thought he must have not heard that right. He must have not heard that right. He would not fall into that trap. He must have heard. He must have been waiting for the question, knowing what you knew then. Would you have acted the same way that your brother did and invaded Iraq? But that was not the question. The question was, knowing what we know now, would you have authorized the invasion? And uh, he said yes. And then he said so would have Hillary Clinton. But the fact is, Hillary Clinton went out of her way to disavow her vote uh, in in her book. Uh, This is one of the things that hurt her a great deal back in 2008 in the primary race against uh, Barack Obama. The fact that she had voted for the war. And so finally she said, no, I'm not going to. So uh, Jeb Jeb was not only getting beat up by folks, uh, by Democrats and progressives over this statement, even the folks on the right, Laura Ingram, the crazy right wing Republican talk show host, Laura Ingram, uh, said uh, in response to this to Jeb Bush, are you insane? She said, knowing what you know now, would you still authorize the invasion? To which he said, yes, I would. Well, they're all faulty, and so would Hillary. No, Hillary wouldn't. Hillary wouldn't authorize the war now if she knew what she knew now then. No, of course not. But that's, look, that's just a fun hypothetical. But you have to say no to that. You can't say, yes, I still would have gone into Iraq. Or, and if you do, you just have to have, there has to be something wrong with you. You can't still think that going into Iraq now as a sane human being, was the right thing to do. 
I don't. I just. That's like you. You have no ability to learn from past mistakes at all. Well, <laughs> sounds when the right. past mistakes were made by your brother. That sounds right. Yeah. But Jeb, if he's truly his own man, which he claims to be, that's before he brought on a former CIA director. Before he brought on Paul Wolfowitz, the whole crowd is back. Got to turn the page here. We cannot stay in this relitigating the Bush years again. You just can't do. You have to have someone who says, "Look, I'm a Republican, but I'm not an idiot." I'm not I'm not stupid. Yeah, well, good luck finding one of those Republicans at this rate. Laura Ingram uh, doing her work for me, it seems. Uh, thank you, uh, Laura. She's absolutely right on this. You can't say, well, you know, she doesn't want to relitigate the war. She doesn't. You know, that's the last thing that Republicans want to do, which raises the question of. Why is Jeb Bush even considered a front runner? You know, eight years ago or seven years ago, you know, the name Bush was anathema. Everybody thought, well, there goes, uh, you know, Jeb's chances to ever become president after this disastrous Bush presidency, the most disastrous hands down in the history of this nation. And yet here they are eight years later. Jeb Bush is running. He's got all the money. He's got all the backers. The media is considering him a front runner, and nobody's even talking about the fact that, uh, yeah, he's uh, the Bush name. They kind of got a little bit of a problem when it comes to Iraq. And the first one to ask him about it is Fox News. Says, knowing what you know now, would you have authorized the invasion? He says, yes. Now, of course, he had to have misheard this. He had to have misunderstood her question. And and I, I presume that was going to be the case when everybody was a buzz about this over the past 24 hours. I said, you know what? No, I'm not going to beat him up, beat up on him for that because he had to have misheard it. Well, yeah, it makes sense to me that he misheard it because she prefaced it with knowing what you know now. Then she said, would you have authorized the war in Iraq, the invasion of Iraq? So I think that's the part that he heard. That seems like what a normal person would have heard. He should have been more on top of it as a presidential candidate. He should be prepared for that well, kind of question. Uh, but I will say... When, she, when Laura Ingram says we shouldn't be relitigating the Iraq war and the Bush administration, I bet you dollars to donuts that if Hillary Clinton gets the nomination and all the time up until now, from now to the nomination, she's going to be relitigating Hillary Clinton's relationship with Bill Clinton and what Bill Clinton's policies have been uh, and requiring her to distance herself right. from Clinton's policies. Yeah, well, so they only want to relitigate certain things. Exactly. Only things that are convenient. I would say this. the uh, If you don't want to relitigate the Iraq War, don't put someone named Bush on the ballot. It's that simple, period. Now, as far as the question that Bush was asked, uh, he has uh, said, at least through an intermediary, uh, Ann, Ann Navarro, Anna Navarro, a, C a CNN contributor who used to work for Bush down in Florida when he was governor, that uh, she has now said, yes, he misheard the question. Okay. He misheard the question. But the fact is, he's running for president. Listen more closely. And by the way, listen more closely on one of the most important questions you are ever going to get while you're running for president. So the fact that he doesn't have his story straight uh, raises questions about Jeb Bush, frankly, especially on something as important as this. But I would say, more importantly, you know, this is a question they are never going to be able to avoid. You can't just put this behind you. 
we are still paying the price for what went on in Iraq. We are still paying the price for the worst. I, I'm not even going to call it a mistake because I think it was quite clearly on purpose. I think the idea that, oh, our intelligence was bad was absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense. They just chose the intelligence they wanted to get the end they wanted to be able to invade Iraq. But the fact that we are having this conversation, that we are even talking about this, is the last thing that Republicans need if they think they're going to retake the White House in 2016. Uh, just even having the discussion. This should disqualify Jeb Bush if Republicans are smart just so they can, hey, let's not talk about uh, Iraq. Let's look over there. Hey, Obamacare, it's a disaster, which it isn't. But, you know, do whatever they can to avoid the issue other than bringing back, uh, bringing back Jeb Bush. But they might do it. We'll see. But I just wanted to go on record as defending Bush. Clearly, obviously, he misheard that question. He can't be that stupid. Can he? He can't be that stupid. Can he be that stupid, Desi Doyen? Of course he can no, be he's that, not stupid. that stupid. He's not that stupid. Maybe uh, George, but Jeb? Well, maybe. Maybe he is that stupid. I just don't think so. I think he misheard the question. It's unfair to beat him up uh, somewhat about his answer to that question. It is perfectly fair to ask him about it over and over and over, and especially if you say, I am my own man, as he has, and then you say, oh, yeah, by the way, my advisor on the Middle East is my brother. The one who uh, who made a disaster of the Middle East, a disaster, by the way, that we are still paying for today. An ongoing disaster, ongoing disaster in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Yemen, in Syria, everything that's going on all ties back to that decision to invade uh, Iraq back in 2003. Okay, uh, let's move on. Want to get to some other things here? What, uh, Alan? Uh, should I go to Alan West here? Uh, this is just, speaking of crazy Republicans, who I have defended before, but will not be defending today. <laughs> Alan West. So in 2012, was it 2012? Yeah, I think it was 2012. Uh, Alan West, uh, the uh, crazy uh, right-wing Republican, African American from. Uh, the former Marine Special Forces or something like that. He was a, a congressman from Florida. He ran for re-election. He reportedly lost. I did a whole bunch of stories at bradblog.com on that election because he was challenging the results of the election, and he was right to do so. Because, in fact, memory cards failed on the uh, optical scan voting systems they have down there that they use down there in his district. Votes were disappearing. There was uh, questions whether the computers tabulated it correctly. I went to bat for this guy. I didn't go to bat for him. I went to bat for the people. I went to bat for the voters. Because, yes, even the voters of insane people like Alan West deserve to have their vote uh, counted, counted accurately, and counted in a way that they can know that it was counted accurately. And they didn't get that. They did not get that in the uh, in the Allen West re-election down there. And so I went to, defense, uh, to defend him. Uh, nonetheless, he's still insane. He wrote on his uh, Facebook page or whatever, allenwest.com, uh, about an experience that he had recently at the Walmart the uh, article was titled, Sharia Law Comes to Walmart? Yeah, he's crazy. 
Uh, he wrote, uh, there was a young man doing the checkout, talking about this experience he had going shopping at the Walmart over the weekend. He said, there was a young man doing the checkout, and another Walmart employee came over and put up a sign, quote, no alcohol products in this lane. So being the inquisitive fella that I am, I used my additional set of eyes, glasses, weird way to put it, uh, to see the young, uh, to see the young man's, uh, the young checkout man's name. Let me say it was not Steve. You'll you'll understand what he was implying in a second. I pointed to the uh, I pointed the sign out to Aubrey and her I guess that's his wife and her response was a simple question: How is it that this Muslim employee could refuse service to customers based on his religious beliefs, but Christians are forced are being forced to participate in specific events contrary to their religious beliefs? Boy, howdy! That is one astute young lady says Alan West in this blog post. Imagine that. This employee at Walmart refused to just scan a bottle or container of an alcoholic beverage, and that is acceptable. But a Christian business owner declines to participate or provide service to a specific event, a gay wedding, which contradicts their faith, and the state crushes them. Well, maybe... Maybe he would have a point. No, he doesn't have a point. He doesn't have a point because uh, the idea that he couldn't serve uh, or that he couldn't check out alcohol had nothing to do with his religion. This uh, guy whose name was not Steve. An editor's update was added to Alan West's article saying, we spoke to the Walmart store and apparently employees under 21 are prohibited from selling cigarettes and alcohol. So it had nothing to do with his religion. It had everything to do with the fact that he was not 21. Uh, Of course, uh, West goes on to say, however, that isn't to say that Walmart isn't selectively caving to Muslim demands, such as this case regarding halal meat in Ohio. And he linked to uh, some store, some Walmart store that had decided to serve uh, meat that was butchered under halal rules after a, a petition had been uh, signed and, and sent to them making this request. So they've uh, caved to Muslim demands. God, this guy is an idiot. But the reason I point this out, it's no news flash that Alan West is an idiot. Uh, the reason I point this out is just to remind you once again about the uh, victimhood industry of the right. Everything they now do, they have no actual policies. They don't actually stand for anything, unfortunately. Which means Democrats can get away with just about anything they want because they have no real opposition. They have no legitimate opposition. Instead, they've got an industry that they're up against. In this particular case, it's the victim industry. Guys like Alan West who make their money on the chumps and suckers that fall for this victim industry, this who, who, who buy into and send money, send money to fight this good fight against Walmart, who is oppressing us and oppressing our, our, our Christian beliefs by supporting Sharia law at the counter. Alan West, of course, uh, has... Uh, made a lot of toxic remarks about uh, all manner of things. He's called President Obama an Islamist, a disgusting racist. He said feminists are neutering American men. 
And he's called Democrats uh, Communists, Nazis, and Anti-Semites. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to raise money. This is what the Republican Party now does. This is what they now run on. They run on fake scandals, fake controversies, fake uh, victimhood. And that's what it's about. It's an industry. It is no longer a political party. It is, in short, a scam. Don't fall for it. (laughs) And somebody, for God's sake, in the Republican Party, get a hold of yourself. Get a hold of your party. Or we're going to have a lot more years of this madness. (sighs) Desi Doyne joins us with the Green News Report in a minute and much more. Brad Friedman, this is your Bradcast. Melting for Desi Doyen <laughs> here on the broadcast here in uh, sweltering Los Angeles, sweltering and dry Los Angeles. Going to get to our latest uh, Green News report in a very short moment. We'll have to get to that uh, rats and roaches story tomorrow. Speaking of tomorrow, if the radio gods are with us, uh, we'll be joined by uh, uh, Jason Leopold from Vice.com about his remarkable new report on the CIA drugging of detainees at uh, Gitmo and other black sites. Um, Amazing story. Uh, amazing documents from Jason uh, that he was able to shake out of the CIA on that. We'll be talking about that tomorrow. Okay, uh, enough chatter. Let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Environmental officials monitoring the Hudson River near the Indian Point nuclear power plant over the weekend. Explosion, fire, and oil spill at nuclear plant just outside New York City. Here we go again. Shell gets approval to drill in the Arctic this summer. More new water restrictions amid California drought. GOP votes to slash NASA funding. Plus, if we have to dig or to bail out, we will be a couple of thousands of miles from any island or coast where somebody can rescue us. Solar-powered plane embarks on its most dangerous journey yet. All of those dangerous journeys and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comments. We have chosen the most exciting application of these technologies. I'll be the judge of that. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, to add fossil fuel insult to nuclear injury, <laughs> we have both a fire and an oil leak at a nuclear plant in New York. Yeah, it's a real double whammy. Indian Point Nuclear Power Plant, 25 miles north of New York City, remains offline after an electrical transformer caught fire and exploded at the facility on Saturday. City, state, and plant officials all say the public was never in any danger. All safety and emergency systems worked as designed, and the affected reactor remains shut down while the cause is investigated. However, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said the transformer accident also spilled at least 15,000 gallons of transformer fluids and special firefighting foam into the Hudson River. Fantastic. Now we're worried about that. 
leaking into the Hudson River, and the plant obviously abuts the Hudson River, so that would be a problem. Oh, do you think? Governor Cuomo went on to say that the oily fluid in the fire-suppressing foam does not harm the environment, but in Monday's broadcast, Energy Director of PublicCitizen.org Tyson Slocum suggested otherwise. Uh, this is not a benign introduction into the Hudson River. This is a uh, polluting oil substance that has been introduced directly into the Hudson River. A polluting oil substance. I, I love the way he put that because nobody really knows what it is, as usual. One other point that Tyson made uh, during our conversation on broadcast, he said that the transformer was only about 300 feet away from the nuclear plant, despite the fact that officials were saying this was on the non-nuclear side of the plant. This fire, this explosion, was a football field away from two nuclear reactors. Yes, it's hardly encouraging. Neither is the fact that this nuclear plant is just 30 minutes from New York City and 20 million people in the New York metropolitan area. Meanwhile, the Obama administration on Monday gave conditional approval to allow oil giant Shell to start drilling for oil and gas in the Arctic Ocean this summer. It's a huge victory for Shell and the rest of the petroleum industry. If not for the wildlife in the Arctic, but... Press on. And the approval comes in spite of Shell Oil's tragic comedy of errors in its first botched attempt in the Arctic in 2012, and in spite of the fact that the rig's anti-pollution gear has already failed a Coast Guard inspection just last month. And Obama is allowing it anyway? Yeah. Fantastic. For the first time in state history, California's State Water Board has ordered a mandatory 25% cut in urban water use statewide after voluntary cuts in residential use amounted to less than half of what California Governor Jerry Brown requested. And now the Water Board will fine cities for failing to meet those targets. But just to check here, still no mandatory restrictions on either the agriculture or the oil industry. That is correct. Even though agriculture uses 80% of the water in California. That is correct. Wonderful. Meanwhile, in the House of Representatives, Republicans have voted to gut funding for NASA's Earth Sciences Division. That's the division that studies how our planet and global weather systems actually function. Congressional Republicans have clearly stated that they don't like that NASA studies things like climate change, and they want to force NASA to shift its funding away from climate to focus on space travel instead. Unbelievable. So that's never going to get past the president's desk without a veto, right? It depends on what bill it's attached to. One can hope. Maybe if Shell Oil asks nicely, Obama will approve it. Finally, an update on the Solar Impulse 2, that 100% solar-powered airplane now making an historic first attempt to fly around the world. This week, weather permitting, the Solar Impulse 2 begins its longest and most dangerous leg, crossing the Pacific Ocean from China to Hawaii. That's five days and five nights of flying, powered only by sunlight. It is very dangerous, but for Swiss pilot Bertrand Picard, the risk is worth it. We want people to understand through our adventure that we can achieve impossible things with renewable energies and clean technologies. Well, we hope they do achieve the impossible. For much more on that story and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download the Green News Report anytime via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And you can and should find us and follow us on the Facebook and the Twitter <laughs> at Green News Report. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Green News Report.
Yeah. Imagine me. I'm hanging from a from from a, a wire suspended above the floor, trying to break <laughs> into a. Anyway, cool. Uh, thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Uh, if you missed any portion of today's program, you can, as always, get it from the archives at bradblog.com. Also, uh, we post every show on uh, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, and on iTunes. If you enjoyed the show. Please stop on by iTunes. You can subscribe over there for free and give us a good review. It makes it a little bit easier for everyone else in the world to find the Bradcast. All right, my thanks to my producer, Desi Doyen, as always, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and to my guest today, David Dayen of Salon. We'll be back with you same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, you can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog, and I'd love to hear from you. And you can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.